James Bond may have met his match in Francisco Scaramanga, a world-renowned assassin whose weapon of choice is a distinctive gold pistol. When Scaramanga seizes the priceless Solix Agitator Energy Converter, Agent 007 must recover the device and confront the trained killer in a heart-stopping duel to the death, making his premiere on the 19th of December 1974 in London and opening day and day in the US and UK. Man with the Golden Gun is the ninth James Bond film, costing $7 million to produce and making $97.6 million at the Worldwide Box Office, starring Roger Moore and directed by Guy Hamilton. Vital statistics are Conquests 2, Martinis 0, Kills 1, Bond James Bonds 2. They are the lowest stats of the series. Variety said, screenwriter's mission this ninth time around was to give the James Bond character more maturity, fewer gadgetry gimmicks, and more humor. On the last outing, Live and Let Die, they fumbled badly, and the comparatively sparse arrays of mechanical devices seem more of a cusp-cutting factor. Joining us to discuss The Man with the Gone Gun this week is Bill Koenig, David Lee, and Sean Longmore. Hello, fellas. Hello. Hello, this is Bill Koenig with Spy Command. So we kick off round one with The One With, which is the motif you could hang your hat on for this film. What would you put on a minimalist poster if you closed your eyes? What is the one thing that you see or hear when you think of The Man with the Golden Gun? So how would you describe this to a casual moviegoer? The Man with the Golden Gun is The One With... The Golden Gun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bond's equal. Hmm. Oh, what else is there from that? Um, there's, there's lots of sex jokes. I could go with that, I guess. Um, the one with James Bond Island. That's really popular. I'm going to go with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's another one that to, to, that to, to go for. I'll go for two because my, my first one was just a joke one. Um, the, it would be the one with the car stunt with slide whistle. The one with the slide whistle. Oh, yes, yes. I think James Bond Island sticks out to me out of that list for the iconography of that island. Yeah, I think that's it's 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 crazy that actually isn't it that there's a place in the world that has been so branded because of the man with the golden gun of all movies. Yeah, that's mental. For for me, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) James Bond goes to plenty of locations; they don't name them after him. Yeah, but in this case they did. Yeah, and it's just that little rock, that one little rock. Oh, what a proud little rock! Oh. I mean, they didn't like have like Blofeld's volcano, did they, in Japan, <laughs> or uh, Blofeld's crater in North Africa? Uh, it is unique. Good call. Yeah, it's because in North Africa they they didn't ever buy into the um, into the. Uh, uh, stepbrother bit, so <laughs> foster brother, whatever. Brother. Also, not really a tourist attraction. <laughs> well, James it wasn't Island. then; it is now. That's the that's the thing. I've heard mixed things from people who have gone to Thailand to visit it. Some say that it's kind of touristy and it's covered in litter and it's not like it isn't a film anymore. And other people say it's the best place they've ever been to. Hmm. So, do you know, do you know what I, I want now? Island. In one of these sort of, you know, the Fleming continuation novels that, where Horowitz is writing as though he's Fleming, I want him mm. to take James Bond to James Bond Island just to see, like, how that works. Like Fleming-style travel writing, but James Bond's in James Bond Island <laughs> and how he can, like, try and justify that. <laughs> 
Okay, so the main meat of this podcast is the Bond cocktail. Um, can you pick one of these ingredients that you think is especially important, has a twist, or is somehow unique to this particular film, and why? And it can be a good thing or a bad thing. And the ingredients to the cocktail are teaser, titles, plot, women, villains, allies, bond, action, locations, dialogue, and style. Who would like to throw one into the shaker? Uh, I, I'll go. I will toss in villains because I think Christopher Lee's Scaramanga was a big upgrade from the uh, novel's Scaramanga. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a good choice. A lot of reviews, contemporary and subsequently, kind of hold Christopher Lee's performance of Scaramanga as the one thing that holds this film together. Ooh. Like a lot, of, a lot of importance is thrust on that aspect. I, um, I guess that that's, I, I, that's kind of the nature of the film. The film's kind of obsessed in a way with duality, isn't it? Um, sort of, the, it's, it's Scaramanga is the mirror image of Bond, but then also the duplicates that you see in Scaramanga's funhouse or the mirrors, like there's that theme of um, Bond going up against himself in a way. Mm. Well, I, I think among Bond fans, even though most Bond fans don't hold the Man with the Golden Gun in high regard, they do hold Scaramanga in in high regard. He, I think I think he he is recognised as a decent Bond villain. So yeah, mm. you know, here in the United States, uh, the Man with the Golden Gun came out on ABC television in the. Uh, spring of 1977 which was just a few months before the spy who loved me came out and so like the abc ad said it was james bond movie out and you know on abc and christopher lee's image was like very i mean he was basically as prominent as roger moore was in those ads so um just some trivia there interesting thing i've always thought about this film is that the synopsis written about it often get it wrong, where they say, you know, Scaramanga sends a bullet with 007's name on turn by six. Yes. No, he doesn't. Um, in a way, Scaramanga doesn't really give two shits about Bond and actually respects him and he'd rather he lives and go away and live his own life. Bond is, to me, the villain of this film because he, Scaramanga has no... Uh, agency against Bond at all. He's just getting on with his business, and Bond comes in and tries to fuck things up and um, kill him um, for really no reason, uh, or or for a, mis- uh, a misunderstanding in the beginning. And then Bond does not correct course when he finds out there was just Andrew Andrews that did it. He just carries on as if Scaramanga was the one that was after him. So, well, you know what, James? I, I actually think I think Bond's the villain of this film. Well, well, James, I'll go one better with you. Again, this is in in the u.s it was not the first run it was the second run for the movie on abc the uh, ad copy like made references to, to jamaica like which was consistent with the novel <laughs> oh like, yeah i've seen that i've seen that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was in tv guide in the here in the u.s it's like i saw it's like what why whoa time out guys but anyway <laughs> no miniature railway either no <laughs> no, yeah, that's the other thing that Fleming was um, was obsessed by was uh, miniature railways, though, because uh, there was the one in in um, Diamonds Are Forever. Not on our list of cocktail ingredients, though, David. But did you want to pick a different element? 
Yes, uh, I will. Uh, I'll go for the the pre-title sequence. Um, and I, I, I kind of love this because it's – I think I've said this before on, on another you – know, probably when we did the, the Man with the Golden – gun watch along it's that like if david lynch directed a bond film it would be <laughs> it would be exactly like the pre-title sequence of this film because it's just there's there's this thing where it, it's so you know there's this surreal thing to it and um i i don't i don't know if this is a common thing if you if you're seeing anything that's surreal but i always have this idea of the top of my head's been removed my brain is kind of flipped by 180 degrees and then the, the skull put back on and have this kind of feeling of of just uh wonder and uh whenever i watch the man with the golden gun i, I have that with the pre-title <laughs> sequence and the fun house is great <laughs> that's so, brilliant that was, that, was that was the most David Lynch description of the Man with the Golden Gun as well. <laughs> it just need it just yeah. needs some owls in there. <laughs> Do we consider the Man with the Golden Gun pre-title sequence to not include James Bond, or does the asterisk that it's supposed to be mannequin and James Bond at the very end, or yeah. the asterisk on the asterisk that Roger Moore played the mannequin? Some would say, some would say easily because of his wooden acting. Uh, it, um, it's a bit. It's a bit like the pre-title sequence to "From Russia with Love," I think, mm. in that respect, because it's it's Bond without being Bond. David beat me to it. Yes, sorry. It's it's not Bond, but it's a similar fake out, which may be a Maybaum influence because Mankiewicz wrote the first drafts. Maybaum came in later, and then uh, Mankiewicz finished it off. But yeah. Is it may very well be influenced by From Russia with Love. Sean, would you like to throw an ingredient in? Yes, I'm going to go with women for this one. Okay. Uh, and I think it, it, it kind of ties into my underappreciated element as well. I think the women in this film are fantastic, which I guess not a lot of Bond fans probably would say. But um, when you look at it, Bond would have got absolutely nothing done without the women in this film. They kind of save his bacon a lot and sort out the world. So we go, go, like go, go girls. Yeah. You know, cause, cause good night kind of foils the whole operation at the end. Um, and even though it's, there's it, she's kind of annoyingly and frustratingly presented as kind of, um, being through the male gaze and being kind of like it, it's that sort of, sensibility that she's something bond has to rescue and save and all yeah, that. But, she, but she, actually she goes about destroying the base and goes about escaping before bond even really does anything and before she knows he's going to do anything like um i, I think she, I, I i think the women in this film don't get enough credit okay stunned the silence only, the only markdown <laughs> i would say on that sean is that had good night not been thrown in the back of scaramanga's car the film would have been over yeah, but he still would have because, been out because, there. Because Bond would have had the Solex and end of mission. But then Murderer right? with the Golden Gun is still wandering about. Yeah, but it's... Yeah, I know. But like, like if, if, if she he, was, he was in the back of that car... for years before this film, too. <laughs> <laughs> if she was right. in the back of that car, they would have never found him. Mm. No, didn't she have it in her purse when she got thrown in the back of the car? That's my point. If yeah, she, yeah, if she had Solex. Uh, no, I mean, they would have never found Scaramanga on his island, would they? No. 
because they didn't which, they suspect which, where he and, was. an island that would have been useless without the Solex. Right. Until <laughs> yeah, but he could have might, might have just built another one at some point, you know. But he didn't know how to do it. He was not a scientist. No, he stole it. Yeah. But then he could have put a scientist in the boot of his car and then made one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somewhere around high fats complex is like a bunch of other solar agitators that were like partially completed. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure they didn't just like start work, make one, and be like, we're finished. Yeah, there must be a laboratory of prototypes and so on. And not, all, not all of them failed. Schematics Junior, come here. I need I need you right now. Your father's dead. <laughs> We're going a bit of far away. Sorry. No, it's okay. The women for me. And I, I also think I think Maud Adams is really great in this film and um she kind of uh, she's kind of acts as a bit of a straight man to all this bonkers craziness that's going off for the first half. Um, so I think she kind of grounds it. And then of course the um Two karate girls um, to oh, save God. Bond from his pickle. <laughs> I, I was about to say, Maud, Ad, Maud Adams needed uh, <laughs> she needed better than she got. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, it's it's a fair point, Bill. I mean, Maud Adams' character doesn't really have given a lot to do, um, but I think she does it well, um, playing the kept woman. Um, which was, you know, yeah, in the Fleming's books. I think they felt that they had to invite her back after the man with the golden gun because she hardly did anything at all. We're sorry, Maud. Can you come back for Octopus? <laughs> <laughs> did um, her death in the film um, has never really struck me as having any kind of emotional impact? Does anybody else feel because she's set up as the sacrificial lamb, right? In this film, yeah. Um, of all the sacrificial lambs in the series, yeah, I it, don't it, feel like I don't, it was done very well. I, I, it always bothered me as a kid. It always kind of troubled me as a kid, and I think it was just the fact that it creeped me out that she's just sat there in the audience, and I find there's something about that that's really quite disturbing. I don't know if it's the if there's any sort of like emotion away from the character that particularly struck me, but that is kind of a bond memory that sticks out in my head as a kid is watching that and being like, oh. I don't mind that. Actually, I would say it basically sets up uh, Christopher Lee's little uh, monologue about how he became an assassin, which was like the main Fleming bits from the novel in the movie, where he talks about, you know, he trained an elephant and, you know, all this stuff. And yeah, you know, basically, yes, her death basically sets him up for his one of his big scenes without it does the audience have any motivation to cheer on bond to defeat no no i don't know i don't know i feel like he's that's christopher lee's performance kind of brings that sort of uh, manacle villain where you kind yeah, of he's there's some satisfaction guys. isn't there to wanting to see yeah, he's, bond he's, going he's assassinating him. fellow bad guys though right yeah, but that kind of, you, you still watch it and you kind of want to go, you're like, I want to see Bond fight this guy. Like the whole way through the film, you're like, I want to see Bond fight him. Even though he's knocking off bad guys, that doesn't matter. You're like, you're watching it and you're like, yeah, I want to see them shooting each other. <laughs> so uh, we had teaser villains and women. Good selection of those three. 
I'm surprised nobody picked dialogue because, as you mentioned earlier, Sean, this is the one that's a little bit on the nose with the sex jokes, I think, <laughs> out of the series. Um, so to me, <clears throat> the dialogue of this film stands out. It's very clever in places and very well written, but it's also a little bit carry on. Yes, certainly. Uh, I, I, for, for, for me, I think the, the, the women are one of the weakest uh, parts of, of the film. And, uh, and it, it's funny that you say uh, that it's, it's a bit carry on because uh, that, that, that's, that's exactly what I think about the, um, a lot of the, the, the jokes about the women in particular, yeah. Right. Oh, no, I've lost my charm. Not from where I'm standing. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, man. Sid James could be in there. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Underappreciated element. What thing big or very, very small would you like to draw people's attention to the next time they see this movie? I think the whole film's underappreciated. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the big underappreciated element. Yeah. No, uh, I, I know if, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time at all, uh, then you'll know that I am a fan of the film and it's because it's the first Bond film that I ever saw. I saw it on the big screen, aged uh, eight or nine or whatever I was at the time. And uh, I loved it. And I, I went along with the whole, you know, the, the whole typical uh, Bond fan thing of it being one of the, the you know, being almost unwatchable in, in many respects for a long time. But when... When I bought the um, all the DVDs in, in in you know in it's like 2005 or something like that, there was this attaché case with all the Bond films on CD on DVD, which I got, and I, I intended to watch them all in order. And I think I watched Doctor No, and then I, I jumped ahead and watched The Man with the Golden Gun just because I, I felt like it. Mm. And it's one of those films that I, I return to, and I know it's not the best Bond film, uh, but it. Uh, my, it, it's like if this film didn't exist, or if you're going to hate on it too much, then you completely destroy my childhood. <laughs> Unpick the fabric of time and space. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying the whole thing is underappreciated? Absolutely. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm with no. you there, David. I think it, it's fun. It's just fun, isn't it? I like it. And I and talking about being a kid. When I was a kid, um, I had all the bonds on VHS, and one of the I, I still remember something being distraught about was when my I took the man with the golden gun to a friend's house to watch, and their videotape, their cassette player, chewed the videotape, and absolutely, oh, no. and I remember being distraught because I was like, no. That's the man with the golden gun. I'm just being really like upset. So I, I tell you what, Sean, I will copy a DVD onto VHS for you as supposed to do. How's that? <laughs> oh, thank you. That's really kind, David. That was great. Well, um, let me talk about what it was like at the time the movie came out because in the 1974 Oscars, Roger Moore appeared. He was introducing live and let die is one of the nominated songs. And then he made a point of saying, and I'm about to go to, you know, Asia, the, you know, for my second movie, the man with golden guns, like I was really like really hyped up for this and like, well, it wasn't as 
great, but you know, but it was still like it was a James Bond movie, and like I was up for it. Like you know, I saw it multiple times in theater, and you know, it it was what it was, and and I would actually say underrated. It was probably like John Barry's score. Like everybody goes about the uh, slide whistle with the that that stunt, but like it's still a great score. And people say, well, it's just a mediocre John Barry score. That's like saying, you know, like a painting is a mediocre Picasso. Like, yeah, I I, I love the score. I I, I think, in fact, I I think that um, that the score is is one of the things that makes it work for me. Yeah, I I love it. You you just get these very Bond moments at times, and it's great. There's the wonderful part. um, Oh, which track is it? Um, but it's where he's going to see Lazar, and there's a wonderful sort of rendition yes. of the James Bond theme. It's yes. absolutely beautiful. Uh, yes, it, it's fantastic. Uh, I won't even try to like replicate it. You know, talking about <laughs> us, but yeah, it's great. And like you know, again, people who hate the movie said oh, Barry didn't do a great job. He did fine. Like he had you know, also in real life, he had like a really tight. I mean, his tightest deadlines ever on a bond film which it says something mm. so yeah just just, just stop it mm. just stop it guys give, give me give me bad uh john barry over good hand simmer any day <laughs> well how about this how about this jo- john barry was it six weeks for the man with the golden gun i don't think it was six i think it was like three weeks yeah, to compose three like, as well yeah three i weeks? think it was like three to compose and like two weeks to like record right. something so like that compare that to Thomas Newman on Spectre, who had three years and just copied and pasted most of Skyfall. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. How far we have come from the John Barry. The and, underappreciated element I want to throw in is not locations, but location work. Because save for Scaramanga's Funhouse and a couple of rinky-dink pieces like the, the, the Queen Elizabeth set, nearly everything in this movie is on location. Uh, and in real world locations. And if anybody's worked in film knows, working on location is 10 times more difficult than working in stage. And the vast majority of this film is on location. Um, well, and, and I and, think that's and, underappreciated. And to reinforce what you just said, like when they got back from all that location shooting, Ted Moore was suddenly like ill or whatever. He could not continue. Yep. And they got another director of photography and like he had a, like a really, you know, tight deadlines for studio work to finish the film and uh yeah it, it, i mean this whole production was like really really tight on it was a kickball de- scramble yeah. yeah okay trivia round um would you like to share a fact or tidbit about the film that you find personally interesting i'll go just because i had a chance to read maybaum's script his first draft after he took over from Mankiewicz and uh, in his script, it does have JW pepper, but just for one scene, it's very much a cameo, not what we got in the fit uh, final film. So clearly the uh, broccoli wanted to get more JW pepper in there than, uh, than, than Maybaum intended extra pepper. <laughs> <laughs> 
Are you ready, Sean, or do you um, want me I, to I go? I have a few d- different ones. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't mention my underappreciated thing, but I kind of can kind oh, of sorry, be a tribute. Sean, oh, sorry, I was, but it was a really little nerdy thing. Actually, was I was just going to mention the aspect ratio of the movie, um, because it's mm. one of the few films that shot in one eighty five one, which is kind yeah. of narrower. So the the Guy Hamilton ratio. Mm-hmm. So it, if you don't know aspect ratios, it's the one that fills your TV screen rather than having the black bars at the top. Mm. Um, and it kind of, the, that aspect ratio, I see a lot of flack in some, from some James Bond films about that. But I think for yeah. Man with the Golden Moon, it really, really works. And I think it kind of, that narrower scope kind of homes everything in and gives it all almost sort of that, it it kind of makes it feel subconsciously more like it's a personal mission for James Bond in a way, because you're not seeing the world in this big, wide, glamorous lens. You're seeing quite a homed-in um, sort of point of view of everything. And I think then that really plays to the claustrophobia um, when they're in Scaramanga's Funhouse at the end. And I, think, I think out of all the ones shot in that aspect ratio, this is the one that benefits from it the most. Good call. Um, but then my trivia, um, there were loads of little random things. Um, but I'm going to go with what is probably, I think it's my favorite little James Bond bit of pub quiz sort of trivia. And you guys will probably already know this. Um, and it's, again, really random, really small. But this film has something in common with Dr. No that it has, that it doesn't have in common with any other James Bond film. So this and Dr. Oh, no. I don't know this. Do, do, does anyone know? Is it something to do with food and drink? Nope. Okay, well, I'm out. It's Bill. I'll pass. Nope. <laughs> I want to hear it. So interestingly enough, um, and it's kind of, you kind of, it makes sense for Dr. No because of budget, but this is the only James Bond film, I believe, that doesn't have a helicopter in it. All the others have helicopters. <laughs> oh. oh, no. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I just, I love that little, I don't know where I picked that up from, but I love that. And it feels like a proper pub quiz question, that one. Um, But also as well, it's the only film, weirdly, where Roger doesn't end up in water and get wet as well. Mm -hmm. Well, real quick, uh, one other thing about this movie was, this is a US thing. So there was a syndicated talk show called The Mike Douglas Show. And the format was, Monday through Friday, he'd have a co-host, and this week, Roger Moore was a co-host. And so one of the episodes, or one of the installments, that week, they had uh, Clifton James and uh, Hervé Villages, and they showed a clip from this movie. This was shortly before it came out in the U.S., so... And the clip was when uh, Bond gets onto Scaramanga's Island, his seaplane lands, and... uh, Nick Knack comes out with a champagne bottle and Scarmanga shoots out the uh, the cork <laughs> and stuff. Like I'm, at that point, I didn't know much about the movie. And I thought, whoa! So I'll pass that along. And yeah, my my trivia and there probably you you all have heard of this, and probably all the listeners have heard. And that there are. Uh, different versions of this story, but uh, I'll repeat it anyway because it's the only thing I could think of. Uh, while filming, Britt Eklund and um, Maud Adams were bitching about Christopher Lee in Swedish. Uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, uh, this was on set, unfortunately they didn't realise that he could actually speak Swedish. He, he, uh, he could speak about seven languages and it's like... 
apart from English, it was Russian and uh, and Spanish and Italian and maybe Turkish. I can't remember, but uh, Swedish. And he, he his wife was from Denmark, and I, I don't know how close Danish and Swedish are. Um, so I, I don't know why he could speak Swedish and not Danish, but uh, maybe they're close enough that you can uh, understand them but uh so he, he responded to them in swedish and that kind of shut them up <laughs> <laughs> but do we know what they were bitching about i don't remember <laughs> I, I i i think uh, no i don't remember <laughs> it wasn't like I, I, oh, look at his third nipple that's gross kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it could oh, have been. Speaking, yeah. speaking of nipples, I, I'm surprised nobody said the one with the extra nipple. Oh, I, the... I, I'm one of those random people with a little third nipple as well. Should have gone for that. Oh, ah. Apparently, it's one in about twenty people. It's quite common. Just want, just want to get that. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't know that. Lily Allen also has one. Yeah, I know that. Not that I've googled this, you know, to make sure it's all okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that bombshell, um, <laughs> do we want to go into final verdict? Um, top tier, middle tier, or bottom tier? Uh, no judging. This is your personal tiering. David, should All we right. get yours out of the way because we know what it is? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, my, mine is definitely top tier. This is a film that I return to. And, you know, uh, in some respects, uh, uh, part of me feels like I should be guilty for this because uh, really I'm a hardcore Fleming fan, but um, my childhood says this is one of the this is this is one of the Bond films to keep watching. So that's the one I'm going to go with. Good. All right, I'll go. Um, I'll say bottom tier, but you know it's like there's 25 Eon films. Like you can't, you know, they all can't be the best. And, you know, it's like they're, they all have something to recommend them, and this does too. So, like, there it is. Just, uh, I, I know some people despise this film. They, most of them despise Roger Moore, but that's how it goes. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Sean? I'm just shocked by the fact that people out there despise Roger Moore. Yeah. Um, Oh, I still, I still bloody hate this question, James. Um, I, it, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. But there's, uh, there's, um, are there any bad James Bond films? Really, they're all kind of great. I don't know. It would probably, if I was having to do a list, it would probably be bottom, sadly. But there's a lot in it that I love, that I really adore, and it is one that I find myself just sticking on a lot. Like it's the perf it's the perfect Sunday afternoon bank holiday bond, isn't it? That you yes. can just put on and it's a good time and it's an easy watch. It's it's just a tongue in cheek fun and I really like that. We've had cheeks and bottoms and all sorts of other <laughs> good stuff. So Thank you for joining us, Bill, David, and Sean. And if you're off to the cinema this week in the UK to watch The Man with the Golden Gun on the big Enjoy screen. Enjoy it. It's great. Although <laughs> slightly squarer than movies you're used to watching on the big screen. Um, yeah, enjoy yourself. Um, switch your brain off. Have a good ride. And email us your feelings. Um, 
contact at jamesbondandfriends.com. And at some point, we'll do a listener's correspondence wrap-up. We, uh, we, we should say, as a disclaimer, don't enjoy yourself too much, though, when it gets to the um, Bottoms Up Club and you see Chumi. <laughs> Remember, you are in a cinema. Yes. A uh, 20-foot-wide bottom. <laughs> awesome stuff. All right. Thanks, guys. And Thank we you. will see a panel next week for Spy Love Me. Bye for now. Thanks, bye. everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>